In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tug Entertainment or its partners. Motherhood Incorporated proudly presents Military Mom Talk Radio live on toginet.com. Co-hosted by Robin Boyd and Sandra Beck, the owner of Motherhood Incorporated. Military Mom Talk Radio is here with a powerful platform for women to discuss their ideas, issues, and concerns with respect to the military lifestyle. Military Mom Talk Radio encourages you to share your experiences of being a military wife and mother. This show is dedicated to educating your family about the many resources that are available available in both the public and private sector and we'll be sharing helpful information from women all over the world we'll cover everything military from helping a family member cope with post-traumatic stress disorder to navigating government programs dealing with family issues to the struggles of deployment along with being a working mother both in and out of the home this is military mom talk radio and here are your hosts sandra beck and robin boyd This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we've got a great show today. We're going to welcome Autumn Arnold, our vitality coach. We're going to go on to Barbara Allen. She's the author of Front Toward Enemy. And then we're going to round out the show with Mike Gardia, the, auto, um, the author of Shadow Commander. Rob, we've got another busy day today. Another great show. We always do. So interesting. Lots of diversity, and that's what I love. That, me too. Me too. Well, i got to tell you, Rob, I found a way, and I want to share this with our listeners today, um, those of you who have lost family members, um, you know, for whatever reason, I ran Race for the Cure this weekend in yeah, my mom's name. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm so I proud of you. I was, <laughs> thank you. I won't say I was the best runner. I wasn't the fastest runner, um, but I did come in second out of our team of 10. So that was really exciting wow. for me. Um, you were your best, really... Sandra. It was? I said you were your best and that's what's important. I was, I was, and I could really feel my mom encouraging me every step of the way, and, you know, it gave me such a greater understanding of all the the families and the people who start charities or they start foundations, you know, in honor of their loved one, or, you know, even if they've just had something happen to them um, Mm -hmm. and they start these charities and foundations, it's a really, really great way to have that energy from grief and from loss have somewhere to go in in a very powerful way. I have to tell you, it really, really made a big difference for me. It was the first time I had ever done something like that for me personally. I've I've done events, you know, for other charities and I've run and, you know, Mm -hmm. done things like that. But this is the first time that it had a personal um, relationship to me. And I want to encourage anybody listening today to do something like that, especially if you are grieving or dealing with some sort of issue. It's a really good place to put everything, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, what was the organizer of this particular one? Because there's a number of them that are uh, specific to breast cancer, and then some are for all kinds of cancers. What was this one in particular? This was the Susan G. Komen run, uh, mm-hmm. Relay for Life, that they do at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. And there were tons of booths, and there was food, and there were balloons, and face painters for the kids. I mean, it was really a well-done, well-orchestrated event. Um, and you got to run through the hills, which were really pretty. And, oh, sure. Um, 
it was interesting to me to see just the diversity of people there. You know, a lot of people will put on their back of their T-shirt either a picture of their loved one or they get pre-printed shirts. And, you know, it just, we are all human beings, and it strikes anybody. Um, there were people there from India, from uh, the Pacific Rim. There were people there from Australia. Um, and then the local community came out. It was really an amazing way to raise money, and they raised over, I think, 900000 that day. Just in a day. Isn't that fantastic? Now, do you reach out and get sponsors to run, or do you yourself pay an admission fee? How does this particular one run? Well, this was an easy one um, because you only have to pay $35 to participate. And I wanted to do the one in Santa Barbara, but that was $2,500. So it makes a big difference. Um, And I did manage to get some family and friends and some of my clients to donate money um, Uh in my mom's name, you know, on her behalf, in her memory. And um, so you can do both. You know, you can just run and participate and give your support, um, or you can fundraise, you know, along with it but it's what I liked about it is some of these runs are just prohibitively expensive it's like I can't pay $2,500 much less raise $2,500 just to participate Right, and I have donated many a time to people, and they'll have a little website off of the main website, and they'll have a little thermometer, and they're trying to reach their goals so that they can run. And I think it's important to bring that up, Sandra, because I think so many times people don't want to even begin participating because they're thinking, I can't afford this, I can't do that. Um, And I, I think it warrants mentioning that, yes, there are runs that are out there to that are very feasible for people and you don't necessarily have to raise $2,500 just to participate. Right, right. And it's, you know, the other thing I like too is that they, they like staggered it. Like the 10K runners, you know, the really fast, good people, you know, they went first and then they lined up the 5K racers, you know, the people who are truly racing. Um, I was just personally mm-hmm. happy to beat the man with a cane and the baby in a stroller, you know, <laughs> that was my goal. Um, you know, but they do line up according to ability. And my girlfriend, Ginger, who ran with me, she's three months pregnant. So she decided to walk it. She walked the whole sure. way. And, that was all entirely acceptable, and it was so much fun, you know, and it was so uplifting, and I could feel my mom's spirit. I could feel the spirit, you know, of all these people coming together. It was a really powerful experience for me, far beyond just fundraising. Wow, that's really wonderful. How did you find out about this particular one, Sandra? Uh, This one was... um, I actually found out through my elementary school. Uh, One of the moms there was getting a relay team together, and that merged with the local Weight Watchers group, you know, because you don't really have to train for this. I mean, I guess you do if you're not athletic, but um, it was a great focus, too, to keep your weight down and to, um, you know, get together and walk and have, you know, kind of fellowship and community and, you know, Mm. a sense of purpose. Um, because there were a lot of days that I did not want to get up and work out, and I did anyway because I knew this was coming. You know, it's like the artificial yeah. gun to your head. <laughs> Don't put that in your mouth. <laughs> you know, get and do those sit-ups because there's a big hill in the beginning of it. And, yeah, you know, and you've got to be ready I, for it. <laughs> that's right. That's right, and I was really happy that, you know, I'm solid, I'm athletic, and I'm not a little skinny girl. And I will tell you, that first hill, all those little skinny girls were dropping like flies, and, you know, these <laughs> big, strong German, you know, horse, the Clydesdale, yeah. went right up that hill and ran the rest of the way. So, oh, you're you know, so awesome. 
Well, I think part of what I was asking, too, is because if there are other people who are saying, all right, I'm ready, I really need to do this, I I really want to do it, how does one go about finding a a local run? You can just Google, like Susan G. Komen or Relay for Life. You could uh, Google breast cancer runs or lung cancer. They do them. You know, there's so many different events. I mean, you know, the Marines did one a while back, and I forget what they were running for. And, you know, it's, it's just fun. Like, I, you yeah. know, I hate to run. I will tell you that. Everyone. <laughs> I am not a runner by nature or by choice um, unless something's chasing me. That's really the fastest I'll go. Um, but I was really glad I did it because you could go at your own pace, you know, rock and run. And, and um, it was just so much fun. It was so much fun. And the T-shirts that our team made, we were team breast friends, um, like best friends, but breast friends, and we had really pretty pink t-shirts, and, you know, they were long enough so they covered our butts, and, you know, it was just, um, the whole thing was a whole lot of fun. Oh, my word. How exciting. I am really, honestly, so proud of you because that is not easy. And uh, the fact that you did it, the fact that you were determined to do it, I, I am just so, so proud of you. That's just great. Well, what an inspiration you, you are. Oh, well, thank you. I think the key is don't overthink it. You know, yeah. like there were, you know, some of the people on our team and some of the people on the other teams were talking about, you know, like they had these crazy training schedules and they were, you know, they made it a lot bigger than it had to be. And you know what? I didn't, I was the only one on my team without new sneakers, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> my old sneakers. And, you know, I had on my leggings and a, you know, then of course the new pink t-shirt, but, you know, it doesn't have to be bigger than it is. And you can just mm-hmm. show up and you can run and do your thing and, and, you know, you can raise money or not raise money, you know, and I loved all that freedom of choice because if I had to raise all that money, I would have had a stroke and I would have, you know, the idea that I didn't even get new sneakers, you know, and I just ran in the ones I've been training in, it was just fun. I could have the fun of it without all the pressure. I think that's great. And I, I just hope that everybody is is inspired by you because if um someone who's not a professional runner or not one who who does this all the time it's doable it's possible and it really makes a difference yeah and there's apps out there free ones that you can download and free websites like i went i got um from couch to 5k in three months or something like that you know from the couch (laughs) to 5k and then i went to like runners.com or runners magazine i don't know i just googled it like you know and i just put in running my first 5k because you know even though i had run stuff in my 20s i'm now in my 40s so 20 years later and you know a few pounds heavier um it was you know different and i love that there was all this information out there and i didn't need to run every day you know i went every other day and took sundays off and i you know just did it at my own pace and it was really easy like if you had asked me a couple years ago would i ever do this i would have told you you're out of your mind (laughs) but it's very very doable very very doable and i'm excited i'm excited that there's options i think that's the biggest thing I hope people are, are getting from this discussion is that there are options. So um, if, if you're inclined at all to support, I think it's, it's the best way to do it. Yeah, because I think about it like, you know, it was $35, you know, for our team to join. And there was 10 of us on our team. And, you know, there was at least 10 of us 
like that, you know, the 10 groups, you can see them all with matching T-shirts. Well, that's $3,500 right there, you know, for these 10 teams at $35 each versus all of us would have never shown up if we had to raise $2,500. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, congratulations, Sandra. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, Oh, gosh. Yeah, we are. We're going to be uh, heading to break just in a couple of minutes. Uh, Our first guest today is Autumn Arnold. And if you are a regular listener of Military Mom Talk Radio, you know Autumn is our vitality and wellness coach. She brings us all kinds of ideas and uh, ways that we can be healthy and keep ourselves healthy and keep ourselves vitalized as we face 2013 and take on challenges like marathons that we never thought we could do. (laughs) Back in a moment with Autumn Arnold. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? Well, that's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be right back after these. Lori Hurley, the social networking navigator, helps you overcome your overwhelm online and makes social media easy. Every week, she shares the latest and greatest about social networking and welcomes industry experts and end users of different social media platforms to share their experiences moving their business forward online. Whether you are a Facebook fanatic or a lover of LinkedIn, Lori has you covered on all angles of social media, including Twitter, YouTube, blogging, Google+, and more. Lori shares her knowledge and love of educating others on all things social media with relevant material, engaging guests, and hot tips and techniques to help you soar down the social media highway. Join her every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time for the Social Networking News Hour here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's time to devote time to yourself and strap yourself in for a fun, down-to-earth, enthusiastic, compassionate, easy-to-understand discussion on the unlimited ways you can be all that you want to be. Join us for Bee Institute Radio with Christine McKee on Toginet Radio. Each week, Christine will have lively and open discussions and interviews, share stories and case studies, and hear from experts on the topic of the week. Christine, a registered psychologist from Australia and published author of Be by Design, How I Be is Up to Me, hosts lively discussions and interviews every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. We'll put a boot in your ass, it's the American way. Put your name at the top of his list and a statue of liberty started shaking. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, 
Military Moms. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we are welcoming Autumn Arnold, and she is our vitality coach, and we're going to talk about sugar and carbs today. You know, as we come up on Passover tomorrow and Easter on Sunday, I'm already into the jelly beans, girls. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they do sit there and stare at you and go, I'm here, I'm here. They do, and I have a giant bag of jelly beans that all melted together, so I can't possibly give them to the children. I've been peeling them (laughs) apart. (laughs) And sugar is just, it drives me nuts, Rob. It really does affect my body in a very negative way, even though I continue to eat it. And I would like to talk to um, Autumn today about, like, sugars and then how carbohydrates turn into sugars and what they do to our body. Good deal. Good deal. Autumn, are you with us? here. There you are. You got two kids at home. I do. I do. And you know, my kids have never been so sick. They were sick last month and now again this month. So I'm not sure what's going on. I have to give them some more vitamins. (laughs) 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 But you know, talk um, about that sugar and carbs and, and what they do to our body. Well, you know, speaking and also speaking of Easter, you know, on average, a child consumes 29 teaspoons of sugar a day. And, you know, and then we wonder why as adults have so many health issues that are coming up now that they, of course, are mysterious. And they just, the doctors just kind of label you with all these things that you probably don't necessarily have. So, um, you know, I found this really cool perpetual cycle Um they actually came across Facebook not too long ago because I've, I've been struggling with sugar, you know, Sandra, for quite some time now. And I literally cannot get any weight loss results of any kind as long as I'm on sugar. Um, but here's how it goes. It's, you know, the first thing you do is you eat sugar, you like it, you crave it, and it has addictive pro- properties in it. And then the second thing that happens to your body is your blood sugar levels spike. Dopamine is released into the brain, which equals addiction, and then mass insulin is secreted to drop the blood sugar level. Then the third step is blood sugar levels fall rapidly. High in insulin levels cause immediate, immediate fat storage. Right there, Ew. that got me. I'm like, hmm, okay. Obviously, I have a problem there. And then the body craves the sugar, the lost sugar high. Um, and then you go into the fourth step, which is hunger and craving. You have the low blood sugar levels, which cause increased appetite and craving. Thus, the cycle is repeated. <laughs> so um, for me, it's always been, you know, sugar. I can't just have one or three or five cookies. If I have a whole package of Oreos, it's the whole package. So um, it's almost like it's a drug for me. So when I get that one little taste of sugar in my mouth, I just can't quit eating it. It's a done deal, at least for the rest of the day or even that week. So, well, I was going to uh, say, that's true. It's like it stays. It's not like you eat a piece of candy or a piece of sugar you know, or some sweet thing, and then it goes away that afternoon or even that week. It's almost like I have to give myself, you know, and it's a struggle, you know, like three or four days to come to get off that sugar so it's not constantly craving. That's right. And I've been battling getting off sugar um, for about six months now. And what I was doing with my tea is I was putting sugar-free creamer in it and drinking it hot in the morning to replace my coffee because I love coffee, but my kidneys don't like coffee so much. And um, 
I figured out that just by giving it a test, because this was the only thing I can think of was that maybe somehow the creamer first thing in the morning was causing me to have other sugar cravings during the day. And not just sugar, sugar, like also carbohydrates, because carbohydrates process as sugar in your body, simple carbs, you know, breads and things like that. I was, it was causing me to be more hungry overall for everything, not just sugar or, you know, bread. So um, I cut out my creamer, which is like one of my favorite things to have in the morning. And lo and behold, I'm on, I just finished week four of no sugar and I'm down 8.3 pounds. Hmm. Wow. So now what does that mean out- to be off sugar? Uh, before you continue, like, what does that look like, you know, for a mom with kids and there's cookies and cupcakes and, you know, even ketchup is loaded with sugar and I looked at spaghetti sauce is loaded with sugar. What does it look like? Like, what does it mean to be off sugar when you say that? Um, well, for me, I know personally I can do grains. So my kids are eating a lot more like me. So I can do corn tortillas. Those don't bother me or, or make me crave other sugars or carbohydrates. I can do tamales. I love the frozen the chicken frozen tamales from Costco because that's masa. It's not a wheat or gluten. Um, so you have to just find what works for you and for your kids. And once you're off that sugar and you don't have that cravings, it's so much easier to stay out of the kids' candy and junk food and cookies and all that stuff that you do buy for them because you don't want to deprive them as a child either. So Now, what about are we using substitutes? Okay. Go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, are we using sugar and carbs simultaneously because don't carbs tend to break down as sugars in your body? That's exactly right. Okay. Now, sugar is, for me, because your body, even with artificial sweeteners, doesn't really know how to process um, artificial sugar. So basically, it's processed the same way in your body. So if you eat a lot of sugar-free things thinking that you're getting away from the sugar, you're wrong because that's just making you crave more sugar. So, and that was for me. Just having that little, you know, two tablespoons or teaspoons of creamer in the morning was ruining and setting me up for failure the whole rest of the day. Um, So, you know, you really need to watch your labels because we have many different things that are labeled as sugars. You have regular sucrose, which is like your sugar that you have, like, in your container at home that you would just sprinkle on your cereal or whatever. Then you have fructose, which is the the most healthiest type of sugar, so it's sugar from fruit. Um, and then you have glucose, dextrose, lactose, and lactose. Interestingly enough, how many people do you know that are allergic to lactose um, and you have to have lactose-free milk? Mm-hmm. A lot, right? Yeah. So basically, basically what that is is they're allergic to the sugar in milk. So what does that tell you? Sugar is like poison for the body. So they're drinking lactose-free milk, but then they're eating other sugary foods or carbohydrates that process as sugar. So um, you have also uh, maltose, invert sugar, raw sugar, turbinado sugar, brown sugar, cane sugar, brown rice syrup, fruit juice concentrate, which you have to be careful, especially with those fruit juices, because they say no sugar added but then they have all these juice concentrates in it, and it's the highest sugary drink you could possibly give your kids. Um, confectioner's sugar, which I don't even know what that one is. I was looking it up today. Um, Isn't that powdered sugar you make frosting out of? Yep. Oh, okay. All right. All right, guys. So thank you. Maltodextrin, corn syrup, high fructose 
fructose, corn syrup, honey, maple syrup, and molasses. So it's not just about, um, you know, when you say sugar, you're not looking at just one particular item. You're not looking at that white sugar you have in your container sitting at home. You're looking at all sugars and artificial sweeteners. What would be an appropriate amount, like if we looked at a label and it said, you know, like one of these sucrose, fructose, glucose, dextrose, lactose, maltose, I just right. wrote them all down and posted it to put them in my kitchen. Because <laughs> um, I didn't know. I didn't know these are all mm-hmm. sugar. What would be an appropriate amount of grams per serving that would be okay? Like I said, you know, obviously we can't get zero, I'm sure. But, you no, know, it's, how it's much is impossible. too much? It's impossible to, to do zero. Um, I don't know that that. That level will be different for everybody, but for myself, being highly sugar-sensitive, I need to stay at least below 30, 40 to 30 grams a day, if not lower. So I have my protein shakes. You're really not going to get away from sugar with those, you know, completely, but they're high protein. They've got all your vitamins and minerals in it, especially with our products. Um, And that has about 9 grams of sugar in it, I believe. Um, So I have two of those a day, and then I have a recovery shake. So I'm at about 30 grams of sugar a day, and I'm still maintaining, you know, my weight loss. Um, So or continuing to drop weight, I should say. Um, So that number is going to be different for everybody. But I would say if you try and keep it below 40, it's still going to be challenging. Okay, okay. Is there a certain level, though, of carbs that we need for our body to have some energy, though? Um, you can do all the complex carbs that you want. So you can do okay. buckwheat, brown rice, any type of a grain is going to process differently okay. than than a regular, you know, simple carbohydrate, which is your your white flours, white flours, bread, things like that. Hmm. Is oatmeal yeah. a grain? Can we eat that? Um, oatmeal is a grain, um, but. I believe you want to stay away from it if you have gluten issues, which I do as well. So I don't do oatmeal. Okay. Okay. Yep. yep. What about eggs? Yeah. Like, like what would what would you know? Like for for one of us, like what would be a good meal? Like what would be a good like? We only have a few minutes, but what would be some good foods to eat throughout the day that would be a low sugar, like you know, meal plan. Um, like for breakfast, you could do like I said, a protein shake, which I love. Um, or you can do oatmeal, you know, with your protein powder in it, your protein shake powder in it, and you can do just a couple slices of fruit. But I'm talking, like, fruit that's lower in sugar. So you have your berries, strawberries, blueberries, blackberries. Those are all the lowest in sugar as opposed to melons and bananas and things like that. Um, and then you can do – I love doing eggs with a little mozzarella cheese and salsa for lunch. That's usually my typical lunch. Um, and – then, like I said, I'll have a, you know, like a tamale. So I'm certainly not depriving myself. And I've had chips and salsa because typically the Mexican restaurants is like my biggest weakness. They use corn tortillas for their chips. So yeah. for me, the corn doesn't bother me. So, I mean, you know, there's there's also a list online that you can go and check out, um, you know, sugar foods lowest in sugar, which you could also reference um, Candida OK Foods which candida is, you know, a yeast-based bacteria that takes over your body when you have too much sugar intake. Hmm. Got it. That's a really great list to go off of. Wow. Autumn, we've got to to say goodbye for today, but I hope you'll be back very soon. We have you you on periodically. 
Thank you, Autumn Arnold, uh, keeping us healthy and fit. Coming up after the break, we have Barbara Allen. She's just written a book entitled Front Toward Enemy about her husband's murder and how the military courts allowed the killer to escape justice. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? Well, that's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be right back after these. Goals, objectives, business and action plans. How important are they for me to manage? Whether you're an executive, entrepreneur, or maybe you're just someone looking to advance your career and want to be confidently prepared for your future, business and life coach Carmen Carosa can help you remove obstacles and move forward in the right direction. Carmen is known as the real-world coach for a reason. His no-nonsense style along with an innate ability to form connections with people gives you a unique opportunity to see higher and further than ever before. We live and work in an ever-changing, complicated world that can leave us with questions about every decision we make. Join host Carmen Carosa, business and life coach, on Forward Motion every Monday at 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Rockstar Radio Network. You will realize dreams and aspirations you thought were out of reach. Are you yearning to connect with those close to you who have passed on? Do you feel you'd be more at peace or more in balance in your life if you could only have that connection? Now you do. It's time for Alex Laws and the Alex Laws Hour. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Alex discovered an incredible balance that allowed him to listen and receive messages from the other side. Not your traditional psychic medium. Alex has spent the last 27 years as an endurance athlete and entrepreneur. At the core of Alex's abilities is his knowing that in order to open one's soul to the universe, one must open their heart to being authentic. The wisdom Alex has shared from those beyond the veil has helped at an international level and changed people's lives and sometimes, too, their direction in life. Need help with your life or business direction? Tap into the spiritual realm of Alex Laws. For more information, check out alexlaws.com. Then join us for the Alex Laws Hour with Alex Laws. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central, here on The Rock. Star Radio Network. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on Toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we want to thank Autumn Arnold for all that great information about sugar. If you missed the first half of the show, you can check us out on iTunes under Military Mom Talk Radio. You can check us out under the .com by the same name, or you can go to toginet.com and pull a uh, broadcast uh, recording from that site. Uh, Rob, now we've got a great guest coming up. We've got Barbara Allen, the author of Front Toward Enemy. A great book. Uh, we've we've just uh, finished reading it. It was really, really intense. 
It is really intense. It's a really, really tough topic. It was really hard for me to read. I don't know, uh, did you feel the same way? Not hard that it's difficult to read, but the subject matter is is hard to, 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 to stomach. It is, and I'm so anxious to talk to Barbara because I think that you you very much feel her helplessness as you read through her um, trial through all of this. It, it was, and I'm saying trial as in uh, you know the the events having that she's had to go through. It's hard enough to lose a husband, but then what she's had to go through uh, since that since the doorbell rang, and that was that was something that carried. Yeah. All through the book, when the door, everything was based on when the doorbell rang. Hello, Barbara Allen. Welcome. Hi. How are you guys? Great. So glad you're with Great. us. Yeah, we're so glad you wrote this book. You I'm know, sorry. We're so glad that you. And we're, I said we're so glad you're with us, and then I said, and we're so glad you wrote this book. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So tell us, you've got to tell us, our readers haven't read your book. We're hoping that they will buy your book and read it and carry along your journey with you. Uh, Can you tell us what happened um, that prompted you to write this book? Uh, Well, as you mentioned, the doorbell ringing, that's pretty much how it started. On June 8, 2005, my doorbell rang, and there were uh, three men there to tell me that my husband had been killed He'd been in Iraq for less than 10 days. I had seen him 10 days earlier, and I'd been sitting up all night waiting for him to call me back. And, uh, you know, they told me he was he was dead. And from there, it just continued to get worse. Um, and it turned out that he was murdered by an American soldier, and we had a court-martial over three and a half years, different trials or different uh, hearings, and ultimately the trial that we traveled to um, – and it did result in an acquittal for so many reasons. There was no other way to explain them but to write a book. Um, and so I have been struggling ever since to sort of set right what went wrong. And I've learned how this could have been prevented. I've learned how needless my husband's death was, how needless all the other deaths in similar fashions have been and continue to be. And so I'm trying to work to set it straight in my husband's case and for all these other people who have come after us. Wow. Have you... Have you, uh, in your epilogue, you kind of alluded to this, I th- uh, um, but was the journal that you started writing just a-, a cathartic process for you to be jotting this down? Or right from the beginning, did you feel that you needed to di- document everything that was happening for uh, for a reason it did it did start as sort of a personal effort i realized when my husband was killed i fell apart i mean you see people who handle crises in different ways some people stay strong and solid i definitely was the opposite i just crumbled into a horrible pathetic mess and i had four children the oldest son was six years old they were six five three and one and i knew that in so many ways at that time, I felt like I was failing them. And I thought, you know, while I try to get myself together and try to be the mother and father and counselor and guide that they need, I would sort of chronicle all the events surrounding each of our days so that when they got older, if, you know, should they harbor any resentment towards me for maybe not being there for them the way they needed me to, that maybe they would read back and understand uh, you know, a little bit of what was going on and the enormity of it. Hmm. That did change to um, 
you know, the need to set the record straight and tell the world the story that the military failed to tell. Well, I also think... Oh, ahead, I'm sorry, Sam. <laughs> I was just going to say, I also think it's a wonderful way for the children when they are adults to look back and look at this from an adult perspective. You know, my oldest son is now 14, my second oldest is 13, and they have latched on to the whole concept much earlier than I thought they would have. They, Those two in particular know what's going on. Um, they like to listen to the interviews. They like to sneak in and read my notes. Uh, they, they have a very strong understanding of it all, and I was very lucky that my children apparently harbor no resentment towards me, <laughs> and they have been sort of my guide through so much of this as well. Now, did you get any pushback from all this? You know, um, I know when people in, in my life have spoken up, whether it's, you know, against military pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, from a, from a family standpoint, I mean, what kind of pushback did you get? Well, um, the current troops and the veterans themselves, the ones that actually serve on the front lines and are faced with many similar situations, they have sought me out and and said thank you for writing this book and telling the story. And often, more often than not, I will hear a story. Um, you know, somebody said to me there was a guy in his unit that had people so nervous that they slept in shifts because they didn't trust this guy. Um, somebody else said uh, similar things about somebody in their unit. I had a young JAG officer come over to me and say, oh, my gosh, I just read your book, and I just bumped into this guy at a court-martial I was attending, and he said, wow, I just read your book, and I have to tell you that um, I, I now see these cases through the victim's eyes and through the survivor's eyes, and I will carry this book with me through the rest of my career, and it will impact how I, how I work with these families. And to hear that stuff for me is so rewarding and so good with all the second-guessing you do um, for doing something like this. Is great. The military itself, the bureaucracy of the military, is not such a fan. Um, right. I'm sure they're not. You know, they prefer that I don't go about this, and I mean, for obvious reasons. But um, sure. I, I'm going to. I have to. I have no choice. I have to keep going. My husband's been denied the Purple Heart, um, and so this is one of the biggest battles I'm facing, and one of the biggest. Uh, issues that I'm sure the government wishes I would just let go, if they even bothered to think about it at all. Um, you, you know, I'm sort of like a mosquito rather than a lion in their ear. But um, we're and we should probably explain why changes. he was denied his Purple Heart. He was denied the Purple Heart because the government says he was killed not by the enemy. His death certificate reads um, non-hostile homicide, which in itself is just it just makes no sense for obvious reasons but they say they don't recognize that my husband was killed by an enemy of our country um they don't believe that soldiers who kill other soldiers are enemies of our country they believe they're oh. simply murderers but um, i obviously believe that any soldier who kills another soldier is maybe not the conventional enemy that we're trained and taught to recognize and fear, but I propose the category of unconventional enemy for these people because that is precisely what they are. You know, they've succeeded in carrying out what the enemy is, what the enemy's goal is. They have killed two American soldiers or more in other cases, and how the government refuses to call these people enemies is still beyond me. That was that that in and of itself was was one of the things that just gripped me. Um, 
your husband was a soldier. Your husband was serving his country and was killed in action. <laughs> he was, was killed, killed on a base in, in Iraq, and one of yes. the um, countless people who have shut down my request for the Purple Heart has said to me, you know, Barb, if we could prove that there was an Iraqi anywhere present, you know, within a mile of that explosion, we could give your husband the Purple Heart, but we just can't do it. And I say that just makes no sense. Uh, the weapon used to kill my husband reads front toward enemy. I mean, it is it is as clear as day. You cannot be any any more direct than that. I mean, not only am I killing you, but I'm saying I'm calling you my enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, how the government continues to stand by this argument to me is just further injury to our families and to my husband. He doesn't deserve this. And there were two, you, two soldiers killed, right? In the, with, just, it was him and... Yeah, yes, he was killed alongside the commanding officer, Captain Esposito, and uh, Martinez was the supply sergeant. He's the guy that killed them. Um, he killed them because he was being removed from his position. Uh, Philip Esposito was chaptering him out. He was suspected of theft of goods. Um, he was, in fact, selling goods to an Iraqi, and supplies were missing. It was a disaster. Martinez was walking around threatening to kill Philip. And not just once or twice, but hundreds of times over many months from to everybody, from the sergeant alongside him to the inspector general of the unit to the commander's son. And, uh, just uh, outrageous, it, literally saying, I'm going to frag him, and nobody reported him to Philip. So Philip had no idea that his life was being threatened, and my husband certainly had no clue. He was walking into a death trap. Mm-hmm. With this book, uh, what message are you? We only have a couple of minutes left, Barbara. Sure. Unfortunately, what, with what message are you wanting people to know? Um, first off, and our troops today. Uh, well, the next effort, the immediate thing I would very much like people to do is pay attention in May. Go to the White House petition site. We will be launching a new petition to secure the Purple Heart for my husband using this category of unconventional enemy. Sometime around May 10th it will be launched. We have a cross-country campaign involving veterans, one of whom is a Medal of Honor recipient, carrying this campaign across the country to meet in D.C. with a run for the wall. Um, Second, uh, I would like very much for soldiers serving and soldiers who have served to pay attention and learn to recognize that these threats are real. It's not just our case. I mean, recently, over the last weekend, we had a Marine killing two other Marines right here in Quantico. Um, These cases continue to happen. They are there. If people are threatening to kill someone or acting suspicious or you're concerned, by all means, report them. And I think when, even when we have shootings like we've had in Connecticut and, and so many other issues, it's not just even in the military. We have people who have issues, and we have to look at that as a society. Uh, and I want to direct people to go to unconventionalenemy.com for further information. Thanks, Barbara Allen. God bless. Thank you. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? Well, that's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be right back after these. What does success mean to you? 
Money, power, fame, having everything money can buy? Does it mean having a job or career that you love, a great family life, or simply to be happy? If you're still searching for answers, then join us each Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern for Primetime Success Radio, where Alan Skidmore and his special guests will discuss health, finances, relationships, being in business, and how you can have a life that is not only successful, but a life of meaning. Alan has been studying success principles for over 25 years through reading, attending seminars, interviewing successful people, and a daily lesson from the School of Hard Knocks. And now he wants to share that information with you. So join Alan Skidmore on Primetime Success Radio every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Rockstar Radio Network, as he takes you on a journey of finding the heart of your success. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. Help us out. Put your name at the top of his list. And a statue of liberty started shaking. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we just finished with Barbara Allen. She's the author of Front Toward Enemy. You can check her out um, at unconventionalenemy.com. You can also pick it up, I believe, on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Uh, now we're going to welcome Mark Gardia. I'm sorry, Mike Gardia. He's the author of Shadow Commander, and he's an Army officer in the United States. Uh, Army, and he holds a BA and an MA in American History from the University of Houston, which is so much more than I know about history. Rob, I'm so glad he's here. (laughs) 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 Welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Sandra. How's it going? Good, good. So tell us about this book. This is a really, really um, interesting topic. Uh Uh-huh. All righty. Well, uh... Let's see. Uh, Shadow Commander actually grew out of my first book. Uh, there was a book titled American Gorilla, and uh, that was the story of a man named Russell Volkman, and uh, he was the man who disappeared into the jungles of the Philippines and raised a guerrilla army to fight the Japanese occupation during World War II. And during uh, Volkman's time in the Philippines, his partner in command, if you will, was a uh, a gentleman named Don Blackburn, 
And in the course of all of, all of my research on Volkman, I discovered that Blackburn himself uh, actually had quite an illustrious career. Uh, he commanded special forces units in Southeast Asia. Uh, he proved the existence of the Ho Chi Minh Trail, and uh, he organized the Sante prison raid. And uh, in the course of finding all this out, I discovered that uh, there had never been a biography written about Blackburn, and I uh, decided to take up the project myself. Wow. This was an incredible uh, body of research, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I was actually very fortunate that at the time that I began researching the book, um, Don Blackburn himself was actually still alive. Uh, he, was, he was 91 at the time, and he was very close to being 92. And I had the chance to interview him and his family at length, and they were all incredibly helpful. Uh, they had a wealth of information. Uh, they had saved pretty much every, um, every item that he had gathered with him throughout the war. Uh, they had several dire, uh, diary entries. They had a lot of his personal papers. Uh, it really made the research for me all that much easier uh, because my source material at the time, of course, was still living. Uh, yeah, I also traveled to the National Archives in Washington, D.C., and the Special Operations uh, Archives, which are at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And I can't tell you how blessed that I was to have the opportunity to interview Blackburn because just two months after I concluded my visit, he passed away. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, when you think of what is it, uh, Rob, we learned with the iHistory Project, you know, 100 veterans pass, 100 World War II veterans pass away every day. Right. Um, and I'm so glad that you got this story down um, and you got to be able to experience him in the writing of the book, which a lot of people don't get in creating something like this that is historically based. Mm-hmm. What was I the hardest too- part of this book? Oh, I'm sorry, Rob. No, go ahead. That's a good question. (laughs) Wouldn't that be funny if we were both asking the exact same thing, which I I was going to say, I I think when you've had the opportunity to meet the family and to meet the subject, it puts Uh a whole different light on how you put facts together because you know this person, you know his dedication, his, his... his uh, ability to be such an incredible leader. Uh-huh. And Sandra was just saying, what is the what was what did you find was the most difficult part in in putting this story together? Well, uh, I got to tell you, the most difficult part was really just finding the time to write it. Um, you, you know, being uh, being that I'm in the army, uh, a lot of a lot of free time is unfortunately something that's in short supply. Uh, so. Uh, well, once I had all the information compiled, it was really just a question of uh, you know being able to allocate all the time that I needed to sit down and actually make a coherent outline and you know, try and put all my thoughts together and try and figure out what anecdotes I could put in to really put a uh, really put a personal edge on the story. Hmm. Now, Mike, when you were writing this book, you know, and and for everybody out there, you know, you're you're mired in facts. You've got stories. You've got all this research. Was there anything that surprised you when you met? Um, when you met the subject in person and got to talk to him and his family, was there anything that 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 surprised you? Mm-hmm. Really, I was just surprised to meet him. Um, y- you know, I, at 
at this day and age, so many of our World War II veterans are passing away, and uh, I was I was just honored that um, you know I could actually meet the gentleman and actually extract uh, a few personal stories from him, and uh, be able to speak with his family and extract personal stories from them as well. And uh, that really was probably the most gratifying part of the project was really just being able to sit down, not only meet the man. But uh, you know, also, also see all the articles, uh, you know, all the articles of his life that uh, he had gathered with him, all the pictures that he had taken over there, and uh, well, what exactly he could tell me about each picture. He could tell me what he was doing, uh, probably tell me what he was thinking. Um, you know, it, it was it was actually being able to meet the subject matter that I think added such an intense personal uh, personal dimension to the work that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten. Mm. We're losing a lot of um, our veterans. Even say we people of my age don't think of Vietnam as being all that long ago. But unfortunately, we're losing so many of them as well. Uh-huh. Mike, you're a young man. What is the passion that you are finding by retelling these these remark uh, stories about these remarkable men? Mm. Well, uh, for as long as I can remember, I've had a passion for the military, and I've had an intense passion for military history. Uh, I've always wanted to serve in the military, and I think that being in the Army and writing military history actually dovetails pretty nicely. Um, it was really just, uh, it was really just, it started off as an intense desire for me to want to serve. I always felt that I had a debt to this country, and I always told myself that I couldn't call myself a patriot in good conscience unless I um, uh, unless I wore the uniform, and I think it was that passion that uh, spurred my interest in military history, and I wanted to read about all the stories of all the soldiers who had come before me, and read about the sacrifices, and read about how so many of these men had overcome these insurmountable odds to, you know, actually take the bull by the horns and you know, defeat whatever adversity was in front of them. And uh, that's really where the passion for military history started for me. And when I started diving through uh, all the archives and all of the uh, all the written histories that were already out there, I uh, began to find more and more stories that either weren't widely known or were uh, practically unknown. And uh, at that point, I felt, well, you know, if if uh, writing is something I have a passion for, and uh, you know, and I really want to get this story out there, then yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think I should you know, just take up the project and write and see what I come up with. Well, and Mike, you know, the one thing that struck me, you know, and Rob and I sit on the air every week and we talk to tons of authors. We talk to a lot of aspiring people who are in the process of writing a book. I just want to uh, commend you today because you're on active, you're active duty right now in the United States Army. You manage not only to write one book, but two books. And these are not fluff books, um, listeners today. These are books that require an incredible amount of attention to detail, research. Um, you know, I'm just so proud of you for getting this done when most people struggle over a lifetime to finish a book, much less finish something of this type of detail, two of them, uh, while in active duty. I mean, I just, I just take my hat off to you. I think that's amazing. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Sandra. 
And I think, too, it's important to be having somebody tell the stories. Uh, We have someone in the chat that was saying veterans don't often think of their story as being interesting. They were there to do their job, and they did their job. And unfortunately, we're losing so many wonderful stories because of that point of view. Um, Mm -hmm. So we thank you for exploring the people that you have, and I hope that there's some, some more coming uh, oh, I, hope, <laughs> I hope there's more research. Do you have something uh, in the typewriter now, so to speak? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I have two more books that are coming out this year. Um, I have two more that are coming out in the fall, as a matter of fact. Uh, one is wow. an illustrated book uh, about the mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicle, also known as the MRAP. Uh, that's, that's an illustrated uh, book. And uh, the other is a biography of General Hal Moore, who was the uh, commander of American forces at the Battle of Ai Drang, uh, which was featured prominently in the the book and also later the movie We Were Soldiers. Wow. Wow. You've got a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, you, you have a life beyond too. I'm sure this is between your military career and you being a, such a prolific author. Um, and you know, Mike, I've got to say, your enthusiasm just makes me want to make sure that I pick up every one of your books because you are so, so excited to tell these stories, aren't you? Absolutely. And they're this on Kindle, I'm going to say, because I'm the Kindle girl here. I do everything electronically. If I could teleport myself around, I would. I want to tell everybody that these books are available on Kindle, Kindle both American uh, Guerrilla and Shadow Commander. You know, save the environment, mm-hmm. do your download and read and do your thing. <laughs> Shadow Commander, be sure to read about Donald Blackburn. We thank you, Mike Guardia, for joining us today, and we'll definitely invite you back when the next one's ready. Uh, all right, Sandra and Robin, well, thank you very much. It was really great to be on your show. Best to have you on here. Thanks so much. Sandra, next week we've got another great show coming up. We have Janet Rebin uh, on. She is the author of Finding Tranquility Base. A lovely lady, a lovely person. Um, We have known her for quite some time now. We also have Brenda Garth coming on to talk to us about the Semper Fi sisters. And we have Shelley Sellers coming to tell us us a little bit about what Vaisalis is. So be sure to tune in next week at Military Mom Talk Radio. This is Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Find us at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. See you next week.